we're on chapter 8 now india's great scientist jc bose jagdish chandra bose well at least many of us here in india um perhaps read about him in school not that it made much difference uh, <laughs> later on after i read the autobiography which is like oh this is what <laughs> this is what he was doing because somehow in school we tend to block out a lot of this information because it's imposed upon us uh as yogananda as master goes into this chapter there's a slight deviation in a certain way so far he's been talking about men of god and now he suddenly kind of tunes into this man of science but what he's also trying to demonstrate for us is that there doesn't necessarily have to be that big a divide between the two a man of god is trying just as much to remove the veils to see behind uh, the seeming outward forms of likes and dislikes of desires and attachments in a sense the man of god is trying to penetrate beyond his own being and a man of science is doing pretty much exactly the same trying to go beyond the seeming outward reality of the atom of form of the stars and in this particular case especially of plants and of metals this is one thing jagdish chandra bose was um, famously trying to study and very well known for it so we're trying to look at both spirit and nature in a certain way as as two sides of the same coin of unmanifested a uh, truth that the man of god is trying to kind of get to and then you've got manifested truth where god where spirit himself has become everything and through understanding how he became it all what is behind each one of these layers and aspects of nature of creation we can also arrive at the same truth and we see now science trying to go everyone's looking for the god particle what's behind the quarks and the bosons and you know i mean they've come up with so many terms now of smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller one thing yogananda said was god is infinite not just in the infinity that we think of in terms of that he's vast and great but he's also infinitesimal which means you can keep going smaller and smaller and you will find no end even in that until you arrive at nothingness so you've got everythingness and you've got nothingness and both are ways which we can kind of seek god so let's see now what particular contribution jagdish chandra bose uh, has to share with us through this book it starts with these lines jagdish chandra bose's wireless inventions antedated those of marconi so some of you may know marconi uh, alexander graham bell they're well known for the invention of the telephone the ability to transmit information across wires and what this gentleman here he's a professor is saying kind of a little proudly he's saying well jagdish chandra bose got there first and for all we know he probably did but he did not pursue that particular flow anymore and he shifted his sights as we will see here bose was the first one to invent a wireless coherer 
and an instrument for indicating the refraction of electric waves. If you don't understand it, well, we're all on the same it's boat. It's like a page in case. Chapter 8, mm -hmm. starting 65 page. But the Indian scientist did not exploit his inventions commercially. He soon turned his attention from the inorganic to the organic world. His revolutionary discoveries as a plant physiologist are outpacing even his radical achievements as a physicist. So you can see how versatile Jagdish Chandra Bose was. Okay, now I'm going to, you know, really out of nothing in physics, create something that's so revolutionary, so new. And he's like, you know what? I don't think I'm that interested. Now I'm going to go and see what about the organic world. And he shifted his sights to especially plants in the beginning and became as a botanist even more well known. His delicate instruments that he invented demonstrate the indivisible unity of life. So now this is another aspect. Um, these scientists, especially here that Yogananda is trying to share with us, they're not trying to, as perhaps some scientists are, uh, most scientists in a sense are trying to disprove God. <laughs> I mean, it's a, a preposterous even thought because you, don't, you wouldn't even know where to begin. But the idea is that if I can figure out all the mechanics and if I can figure out exactly how everything works and how everything was brought into motion, then there is no need for a supreme intelligent being, you know, because of course their idea of God is also anthropomorphic. You know, it's like this concept that there's a guy up there who's running the, you know, it's like a CEO who's like making all the decisions. Well, God was never a guy kind of saying, okay, you know, now what? I'm just going to create life and I'm going to breathe life into this and I'm going to put this planet into motion and this sun will do this. So he just became, his consciousness just manifested into the universe. When consciousness was perfectly still, which is what we would call spirit that is unmanifested, the way it says in the scriptures is that God moved. And in that movement, that stillness, became two. That singularity became two and that is the, you can say, the beginning of the Om vibration, that first manifested vibration from which the rest of creation springs forth. And the more God moved in the sense, the more that vibration became restless, the more solid, you know, things started to get. So from spirit You've got the elements of ether, gas, fire, water, earth, not necessarily as elements that earth is mud and fire is fire, but as stages of creation from subtle to more and more and more and more and more solid until we get matter altogether. So Jagdish Chandra Bose was not using his deep love for science in this way to say how everything worked and once I know he wanted to essentially show how indivisible all life is therefore you will realize that there is one united hand behind all life forms and he created something called the crescograph in Italian at least I know cresco comes from the word crescere yeah. no so I'm sure it's a Latin word. So crescere means to grow. grow. And so the Cresco graph 
was Bose's unique invention where he was able to kind of slow down the processes from, you know, it's like if I want to study how the neurons in my body work, how the neural system works, the information passes so quickly that at that time, especially, there was no means, there was no instrument that could slow it down enough that we could by our own selves measure it and see it. And this is what he did with the crescograph. He was able to slow the processes down to the point where you could see the movement, how growth was taking place in a plant, how information was being passed inside a plant. And that, in fact, led later on for us to be able to create more sophisticated instruments that allowed us to see within ourselves, to see how our body functioned. Because within us, the f uh, movement and the complexity is that much greater. But it all began by the study of plants. So Yogananda goes to meet J.C. Chandra Bose because his curiosity is awakened when he hears these professors talking about him. And so he goes and uh, kind of calls upon him at his uh, home. And he says, You have done much, sir, to hasten the embrace of East and West in the impersonal arms of science. Again, I love these words. Impersonal arms of science. In a certain sense, wouldn't it have been nice if religion as well had a certain touch of the impersonal? Because we get so, my God, my rituals, my form, it becomes hard for us to see God in all other ways. Whereas science in a certain way has allowed a certain sense of the impersonal so that we are always open to being wrong. That's the beauty of science. Until it's proven, there are no judgments passed. Until you know for sure and everyone can experience the same thing. Not just you. It's not just, oh no, I know this and so therefore it must be true. No. Anybody, any religion, every thought, a child, a man, a woman, you know, whatever it may be, should also be able to experience and see what you have done. Then it's true. And the same should be true for our own spiritual experience. The same should be true essentially for religion as well. Then Jagdish Chandra Bose explains just a little bit of his background. I was educated at Cambridge. How admirable it is the Western method of submitting all theory to scrupulous experimental verification, just as we were talking about. That empirical procedure has gone hand in hand with the gift of introspection, which is my Eastern heritage. So J.C. Bose is helping us see how he brought the two together. He didn't just go by the Western thought because the Western thought, Swami Kriyananda puts it very beautifully. He says it's, it's derived from Aristotelian philosophy. And in what Aristotle gave us was the either or. It was either this is right or this is wrong. Either it's this or it is that. And so the West has pretty much, and science has based itself purely on that thought. It's, you know, it's either matter or it's energy. And that's why the electron has been so complexing to science, because at times it's a particle, at times it's a wave. Well, we won't go that deeply into that. But the Eastern philosophy is it can be both and. God is both manifest and unmanifest. God is both personal and loving and impersonal and allowing us to do whatever we want. 
God is both in the greatest and in the smallest. And so what Jagdish Chandra Bose said, he used this outward, okay, we have to test everything, everything has to be verified, and he used that Western understanding, and he combined it with the, his Eastern heritage, which is that of introspection. Okay, I see that, but what's behind it? What could be deeper? What's uniting the two, rather than what is separating the two? Together they have enabled me to sunder the silences of natural realms long uncommunicative. If that sentence is a little hard to understand, he's essentially saying, when I combine the two, it has allowed me to go beyond the silence of the natural world that otherwise we were not able to communicate with. And in this particular case, especially he's talking about how the plants work. So far, we were unable to know that but through his understanding, he was able to get the plants, essentially, to talk to him, to communicate with him. The telltale charts of my crescograph, as we just discussed, are evidence for the most skeptical that plants have a sensitive nervous system and a varied emotional life. Love, hate, joy, fear, pleasure, pain, excitability, stupor and countless appropriate responses to stimuli as are universal in plants as in animals. Can you imagine? I mean, we've never thought of this before. Huh? Plants feeling joy, plants feeling sadness, plants feeling boredom, <laughs> plants having fatigue, plants getting scared. So he was able to show through that nervous movement, the movement of the sap especially, how plants were reacting to the outward world. You know, and that is why it's very important for us to be aware of all these things. We know of all the um, experiments conducted with plants where, you know, they shout at the plants or they give loving kind of uh, words to the plants and then you see that it grows completely differently. You've got experiments where they play blaring, you know, loud, heavy music and where they play very soft, uplifting classical music. And again, the plants have a completely different response to the two. And that should help us understand to a certain degree that all of life, all this entire universe is responding constantly. And that makes us a little more responsible ourselves to what we are putting out into the universe. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I remember an episode in Yogananda's life when he was mm, building his mm, ashram in, I think it was in Encinitas or Mount Washington, I don't remember. The monks were transplanting some of the plants, some of the trees, and at some point he saw like four or five of them carry this very heavy uh, tree. And he was shocked how the monks were treating that tree. And he stopped and just almost yelling at them, like, be careful, don't you, don't you see that that tree is alive? It's amazing how self-realized masters have that awareness that even the leaf of a tree has consciousness. Even the little ants that just go, you know, through the ground have consciousness. And how important for us is to pay attention that everything 
has consciousness and response. So if plants respond to, if plants respond to our stimuli, our states of consciousness, really no wonder how and why nature is right now. You know, Mother Earth is almost just saying, please, can't you see that your thoughts, your actions, what you are projecting out, it's really affecting me, it's killing me. So we, it would be good for us to see the, yes, the little tiny things, the plants that we have around it, you know, seeing God in those little aspects, but why don't we start already tuning into everything that we think we do, our intentions are affecting the world. And we all know this, these are like really serious concepts, but are we doing something about it? So I think this chapter is going to give us a great awareness of the importance of doing something with that information. Gonna move on. Oh, there's this yeah. photograph here of Yan Mukunda, our guru, as a little boy, and Jagdish Chandra Bose, of course. It's actually quite interesting that you know Mukunda is here next to the greatest, you know, botanist, you know, inventor of the Kruskova. I mean, it's something to think about it, no? Like why he chose to put. Mukunda, which is so innocent, so sweet, you know. <laughs> balancing the two. Yes, balancing the two, yeah. So then he continues on. You know, we're just, uh, we're not going to bore you with all these heavy scientific things. We've kind of extracted big things that are meaningful and that we can really relate to all of us. <clears throat> Here... Now Yogananda leaves um, the presence of Jagdish Chandra Bose and Jagdish Chandra Bose tells him, you know, why don't you come at some other time to my lab where I can show you these inventions of mine, show you these instruments. And so later on Yogananda returns. This is when uh, Jagdish Chandra Bose is inaugurating his lab, which was called the Bose Institute. And so he's giving a great talk at that time a lecture an inaugural lecture and so we've extracted certain things from that and he says of course starting i dedicate today this institute as not merely a laboratory but a temple so again you can already see this man is no mere scientist he recognizes god's hand behind what he is doing and is willingly being a channel to awaken as narayani said man's own understanding for nature, for manifested reality, that he be more attuned through it to the divine. A universal reaction, he says, seems to bring metal, plant and animals under common law. So he's saying all of them respond alike. They all exhibit essentially the same phenomena of fatigue and depression with possibilities of recovery and exaltation as well as the permanent irresponsiveness associated with death. So he's saying even metals 
show that state of death, not just things that are alive in the way you and I would judge them to be. It is often forgotten that he, being God, who surrounded us with this ever-evolving mystery of creation, has also implanted in us the desire to question and understand. So again, it's an important part of our own process, not to be filled with doubt, because doubt is, um, by its own self, it eats at you, but to have a healthy understanding that until and unless it does not also resonate as an experience within me, I don't know if I can fully accept it. And in fact, no spiritual progress is ever made by mental concepts. All spiritual progress is made through an experience that we have. You won't even come onto the spiritual path until you have experienced enough disappointment from the world before you are willing to set your sights to something greater. And that's just the truth of it. So in your own way, in your own processes, always ask the question constructively, whether the question be, how can I feel this? Why am I unable to feel this? If so many people are saying this is true, what's stopping me from experiencing this? And also to just judge, is this really true? Is, uh, is the fact that there are so many gods, that there are so many forms, that the Christian God can't be right and the other God can't be right and there's only one thing, that part you have to wonder how is that even possible. But then once you've understood the unity of it all, then you can start to go deeper into it. <clears throat> and he says, I have... I came to know that life of the devotee of science, this is what he calls himself, a devotee of science, is inevitably filled with unending struggle. It is for him to cast his life as an ardent offering regarding gain, loss, success and failure as one. How beautiful, because this is the life of the devotee of God as well. It is an unending struggle because until we achieve that final realization, we're always going to have to be putting energy out. There is at no point where the devotee can just say, okay, I think I've done enough. And now, you know, it's just, well, now it's up to you. You better just lift me up. No, we're going to have to constantly move towards him. And similarly, says the devotee of, the sci of science similarly struggles, but eventually learns that his whole life is an ardent offering to the opposites, whether he's successful or he fails, whether he receives great you know, recognition or he just disappears into obscurity, that as a devotee of science, none of this matters. Isn't that just beautiful? You want to say something, Ariane? Just thinking about the passion that he had for what he was trying to prove in a sense, and the kind of dedication, I mean, a lifetime spent for the search to, you know, prove to the world that, you know, there is an underlying reality that unites everything. I mean, just imagine, that's, that's huge, and dedicate your life completely knowing that perhaps all the effort that you have invested may never be acknowledged nor recognized recognized nor approved 
in your lifetime. I mean, that's that very thought, it's incredible. So I can see here not only his passion, his dedication, but how perfectly he understood the concept of Mishkan Karma. I'm doing this, you know, with all my heart, completely. I feel that call, that divine call. I need to do my best to show everyone, you know, to create, to learn people understand how to live more harmoniously with every human being. And then, you know, if there is not a response back or an appreciation or, you know, they start working towards this, it's fine also. What else can I do? But let me just keep trying, keep going all the way through until the end. I, I think for me, this paragraph, <laughs> it's one of the most important um, concepts and important kind of message that he had to give us. I mean, that temperament, that personality, that perfected spiritual quality of passion, passion, Passion and Passion, patience, patience <laughs> dedication, and the ability to not be attached to the results, the results of his actions. Mm. Wonderful. He goes on. Again, let's just bring the context. He's giving a speech at the inauguration of his own. So this is all his words as he's speaking to the people assembled. Indians have always arisen who, discarding the immediate and absorbing prize of the hour, have sought for the realization of the highest ideals in life, not through passive renunciation, but through active struggle. Again, just cutting through what the essence of a spiritual life is. It's not passive renunciation. Okay, now I'm not... Now life has no meaning because I've given up all the great joys of life. No, it's just like, wow, what I'm really seeking is bliss and I'm going to put out everything and anything I need to in the achievement of that bliss. And if things need to fall off, if aspects of my life that don't serve that pursuit towards bliss need to just slip away, then so be it. But this struggle of mine is real. I mean, think about those who struggle for example, those who struggled for the, our independence, you know, they weren't people. They would sleep wherever, they would go through hardships of untold proportions that you and I would shake at even the very thought of. Yet, all they were looking for is that freedom of their motherland and they put everything they could into it, many of them, till the point that they had to give their life for that. And that's not new just to the Indian struggle. That is everywhere, all over the world. So he's saying, rather than looking for the immediate absorbing prize of sense pleasures, oh, okay, I did this, nobody recognized it, fine, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> he says, go for the long goal. And then he continues and says, the weakling who has refused the conflict, acquiring nothing, has had nothing to renounce. You see, renunciation is when you have, then you can renounce. If you've not acquired anything, if the world itself has renounced you, if you're not able to do much in life, if you have no energy, if you have no enthusiasm, if you have no passion, what are you going to renounce in the first place? 
you just have nothing to give to this world you have nothing to give to god so first have own become and then be willing to let go even that anything sweetie no they tell you of the protracted efforts to get behind the deceptive seeming into the reality that remains unseen he's talking about his work now of the continuous toil and persistence and the resourcefulness called forth to overcome human limitations again he's saying through science his intention is to overcome human limitations and this is what our intention is through our spiritual pursuit to overcome our own self-imposed ego realities and limitations and then experience that which lies beyond all creative scientists i love the word creative scientists know that the true laboratory is the mind where behind illusions they uncover the laws of truth and that's what a true scientist is going for just as a true spiritual scientist is also looking for truth not proof not theories not if i can do this then people will recognize me if there's truth behind it i want to know he says the lectures given here will not be mere repetitions of second hand knowledge again very important for us to don't be satisfied with repeating second hand knowledge quoting this person quoting that person forwarding whatsapps of wonderful sounding words which is not wrong but in that assuming aha i have done my job of making the world better today well it's nice to share knowledge and information but don't be comfortable satisfied. and satisfied with that state and say oh because i can quote something because i can remember some handful of words bunched together that sound beautiful that somehow i have acquired the wisdom of those words and he of course says here on a practical level he says everything that we do here they will become public property no patents will ever be taken the spirit of our natural national culture demands that we should forever be free from the desecration of utilizing knowledge only for personal gain again just beautiful after beautiful realizations and principles that we have to learn to apply in our own lives this is not for science this is for us if you've had a wonderful experience if you've had any realization of sorts share it not with the idea to say look what i came up with but wow how can i give that to others how can i also in some way or the other transmit that same feeling that same joy that same upliftment for the betterment of all everything that the divine gives us is not for us to hoard he expects of us to share it with all his children he then goes on to say the burning indian imagination which can extort new order out of a mass of apparently contradictory facts is held in check by the habit of concentration this restraint confers the power to hold the mind to the pursuit of truth with an infinite patience again to know this is going to take time and you have to be willing to give it continuous constant consistent energy concentrated energy 
otherwise believe me it's just going to be very hard to get to the goal that you are seeking of course in fact if we know this if we start looking and going through the lives of the most successful people those people who have really achieved something in life i mean we can see the two main qualities they have which is high energy and concentration so if we really want to accomplish something whether it is in meditation or in anything we are doing big things small things if you don't feel you are progressing or you are not having you know the results or that feeling of success within you i would say check out in whatever you are doing are you putting first of all enough energy and secondly when you are doing that with great energy are you fully concentrated on it and i think jagadish chandra bosch had those like perfectly you know like just applied those qualities so perfectly in all his inventions i feel he was just fed that was his nourishment that kept him alive innovative creative because that concentrated mind and that high energy just kept guiding him also intuitively of what were the um, what como se dice aparatos the, the uh, inventions and the instruments that he just you know felt he was channeling in order to again help humanity to see that unity so then this is uh, he ends his talk by saying is patience not indeed a synonym of india confounding time and historians alike so beautiful words and then later on he now shows um, yogananda his instruments and so we'll just get a little glimpse as to what his inventions and what it was it that he was in fact working on now he says to yogananda to the young mukunda i will attach the crescograph to this fern fern is a plant the magnification is tremendous if a snail's crawl were enlarged in the same proportion the creature would appear to be traveling like an express train so they're really magnifying and seeing the minute movements here so he says in fact minute life movements this is mukunda explaining yogananda minute life movements were now clearly perceptible the plant was growing very slowly before my fascinated eyes now the scientist touched the tip of the fern with a small metal bar the developing pantomime came to an abrupt halt so we hear the crescograph was essentially showing these uh, a graph you know how you we see in the eeg or whatever the so this is going creating a graph but the moment he touched that fern with this metal bar immediately that movement came to a halt resuming the eloquent rhythms as soon as the rod was withdrawn so you see how immediately the plant reacted and responded to that touch and bose says 
you see how any slight outside interference is detrimental to the sensitive tissues watch now as i administer chloroform and the moment he put chloroform suddenly it felt like again the plant was dead and the moment he put an antidote again the plant was revived my companion thrust a sharp instrument through a part of the fern so really causing hurt and pain was indicated by spasmodic flutters in the graph when he passed a razor partially through the stem the shadow was violently agitated then stilled itself with the final punctuation of death so right before his eyes yogananda is seeing all these varied emotions and responses that this plant oops sorry has to you know all kinds of different stimuli he goes on to then say graphs of my delicate apparatus this is jagdish chandra bose have proved that trees possess a circulatory system their sap movements correspond to the blood pressure of animals so now of course all these things are very well known but at that time they were just unheard of and it was jagdish chandra bose who not only put forth the idea but was able to actually prove it and to show it to everyone the more deeply we perceive the more striking becomes the evidence that a uniform plan links every form in manifold nature and this is what he was trying to prove that there is a uniform consciousness a uniform creation behind everything what you and i would see as different oh this is a dog and this is a cat i am a human and this is a plant this is a rock and this is metal through bose's inventions and understandings he was able to show all of life is united in one you can say uh, cosmic plan of the divine i will show you experiments on a piece of tin so now he's moving from okay plants i understand you know a plant is alive now a piece of tin which you and i would call inert let's see what that does the life force in metals responds adversely or beneficially to stimuli ink markings will register the various reactions again on that graph deeply engrossed yogananda says i watched the graph which recorded the characteristic waves of atomic structure when the pro- professor applied chloroform to the tin the vibratory writings stopped they recommended as the metal slowly regained its normal state can you imagine metal also re- reacting that way to chloroform and such my companion dispensed a poisonous chemical and simultaneously with the quivering end of the tin the needle dramatically wrote on the chart a death notice so the moment you put a chemical that was harmful to the tin the tin died that it didn't have any more life it didn't have any more movement within it both instruments have demonstrated that metals such as steel used in scissors and machinery are subject to fatigue and regain efficiency by periodic rest see based on all this all factories maintenance schedules were created understandings of oh i can't use these things over and over again Uh, you know our cars and engines and what they need i mean all of this you know we're looking at this as oh how wonderful how sweet but 
the ramifications of what J.C. Bose created and discovered helped revolutionize, in a sense, our entire industrial industry, where now we can run things at maximum efficiency. I know when I need to stop, when it needs rest, when it needs maintenance, how long, how much stress can certain metals take in yes, buildings. Heat. As heat in buildings, it's like when I'm putting beams together, I know how much weight they can take. It's all in this understanding that J.C. Bose just initiated from there. Many others took on and built on it. The life pulse in metals is seriously harmed or even extinguished through the application of electric currents or heavy pressure. Again, just understanding the different ways. Finally, he says, everything, ma everything in man has been foreshadowed in the plant. Experimentation on vegetation will contribute to lessening of human suffering. So I know in uh, laboratories, they tend to do experiments on rats, on rabbits, you know, I mean, it's a big, on monkeys. There's always a big kind of sense of sadness when we do that with animals when we have to subject them to hurts so we can figure out later on what's going to be beneficial to us. And here J.C. Bose is saying, you know, if you really understood the plant and if you were able to work with it, the thing is we don't like working with plants because it's a slower process and they don't give us the feedback that animals will give us immediately. But he's here essentially saying everything that was created in man was first created on a simpler level in the plant. And if we can work with the plant, we'll be able to find many ways to lessen. And he's also talking here about herbal remedies. That if I understand what plant, what energy certain plants do, what their reactions are, I'll be able to say, oh, this can help me with this. And a lot of medicine and things of that sort can also be given to us through those experiments. Well, this is more or less what this chapter has in store for us. Isn't that beautiful? Wasn't that far more than we would have otherwise imagined <laughs> like in fact we we went to his house, yes, in, Calcutta, we to his house in Calcutta and we saw all the inventions inventions that he made and created it has like so many floors and I could see even though I don't understand anything of what's about science and so many things but I could see by seeing the walls and his cabinets full of little inventions more complicated more simple but everything in that house was vibrating with creativity i mean you could see he was a genius you know he came in the in that lifetime with a specific purpose he had within himself that perfect balance of science with spirituality and he tried to mm, manifest those two aspects through his inventions if you have an opportunity to go to calcutta visit his house and we could also imagine you know yogananda going there and visiting him and yogananda being fascinated because you know he really also appreciated the brilliant mind that this great man had so again and he was his neighbor yeah <laughs> very close the uh, Bose Institute that house is extremely close to Yogananda's 
childhood homes. So do visit both places. Mm. Anyway, we mm. we have a m- couple of more minutes, and just to say, why you know, it'd be nice if you go and just reread. These are heavy. These mm. chapters, many of them are a little you know weighty, and uh, now that we've kind of found different ways to look at it, and we've kind of opened it up a little bit more. It'd be just nice to go reread these chapters every time we go through them. And so you can yourself, you know, you don't need Narayani and me telling you. But if we can help kind of create a context, then just go and for yourself try to receive and absorb. Just as JC Bose was saying, not secondhand repeated knowledge, but experienced knowledge. And each of us should aim for that in everything that we do. And through this understanding of how science and spirituality has come together in the life of JC Bose, Let's also see in our own lives how our material life that we also think is separate and our spiritual lives, how do they come together? What is the unified uh, cosmic plan in that, in my work, in my family, in my outward pleasures? Where does my spiritual reality, where does that fit? What does unite all of them into one kind of cosmic flow towards bliss towards god so have fun experimenting in your life never give up never just assume you know always be open to say what else is there what else could there be i don't really understand this the beauty of a scientist is to be able to say i don't know that's why science was created man realized he didn't know so many things and so he said now i'm going to look for it and so even in your spiritual journey you know, have that humility to often say, I don't really know. And then say, but I would like to find out. And then you can see through how many variety and in so many ways the divine can be expressed. I mean, so far we are in chapter eight. eight and we have seen already how God is manifesting himself through so many different saints and personalities and manifestations and now through a scientist. I mean, it's just fascinating. Each person, each human being has been infused with the spark of that divine that needs to be manifested. And I would like for each one of us to see everyone around us our family our neighbors our children you know and look for that particular unique um, fascinating way that god is manifesting himself through your husband to that person and and be in awe you know why god you know has chosen in that particular way and if we start seeing you know everything with those eyes of a scientific person who is always in awe and in wonder about everything i think we would be able to perceive god more clearly vividly behind absolutely everything and everyone and i think that's the main message of every great saint you know try to see beyond behind every physical form well everyone have a wonderful day experimenting with your own selves and with those around you 
and uh, we'll continue our journey with the autobiography next week.